This is DeRay Olalia, and you're listening to the Before the Man's Podcast, episode 150. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7-Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobster, the cash flow ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. What is going on, BTM tribe? Welcome to a brand new installment of the Before the Millions podcast. Hope you are doing excellent during this turbulent season. I'm super excited for this episode. On today's show, we are introducing Mr. and Mrs. Shelton. Kevin and Aisha graduated from the same university that I graduated from, the University of Houston, main campus. And although we didn't know each other in college, we share a very similar path, but also a very different path from myself and the typical investor on the show. Kevin and Aisha are primarily developers. Now, as investors, they have a host of other investments and do a ton of other things in the real estate industry, including a podcast, which we'll talk about on the episode. But they specialize in developing single family homes from the ground up. Now, I haven't yet been able to do a deep dive into development, and this was my first time. So as you could imagine, I was super excited. Now, it's a long but juicy episode. So I'm not going to waste too much time and I actually have a whole lot of updates to give you guys and we'll probably save this for a future episode, hopefully even the next episode. So make sure that you're just so make sure that you're subscribed and you're tuned in because I just closed the cart of my brand new course called the motivated seller method and it was a phenomenal launch. I mean, we've been working on this launch since September. It was a short week and a half launch and I'm currently working with the students who purchased the course and helping them build their real estate business as well as their investment portfolio. So there's a lot of updates on that end. Uh, Super exciting stuff. Again, the card is now closed and will will be closed for at least the next three to six months. Uh, If you want to get on the waiting list, just head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash MSM. That's beforethemillions.com forward slash MSM as in motivated seller method. So that's been like the main thing on my plate. Um, Apart from that, one thing I can't miss is that I have been in Mexico for almost the past month. So I got here late February and I spent five days in Playa del Carmen. I spent five days in Cancun. Then I went back to Playa del Carmen and I spent seven days in Playa del Carmen. A totally different experience from the first time. And again, I'll cover all this on a future episode. And then I arrived to Tulum, which is where I am now, about seven days ago. So it's been five days Playa del Carmen, five days Cancun, seven days Playa del Carmen, and now it's been seven days Tulum. 
And with the whole Corona thing going on, I just kind of feel like I need to stay put for at least another month. But also because the Canadian border was just closed yesterday, I also feel as though maybe I should just get back to the States and quarantine. But it's still up in the air. We'll see what happens. I'm watching the news closely. For those of you that are active real estate investors and you're just curious as to what is going on in, in today's real estate market, are we headed into a recession? Is Corona going to have a lasting impact on the financial system? I actually have a data mining expert slash real estate investor coming on the show really, really soon to break all of that down. Of course, guys, I'm going to take care of us and make sure that we're not in full panic mode when it comes to our investments and our real estate business moving forward. With that being said, if you're not already following me on Instagram, now is the time to do so. I've been posting a ton as of late. So if you noticed that last week we didn't release an episode, but you follow me on Instagram, you're still able to keep up with the adventures and the journey. So make sure that you head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Instagram and uh, add me as a friend and then send me a quick message saying that you found me on the Before the Millions podcast. So that's beforethemillions.com forward slash Instagram. And my Instagram handle is just my first and last name, DeRay Alalia. Okay, that's all of the housekeeping for today. I am headed to a restaurant to eat breakfast, set my second breakfast uh, of the morning, and I am meeting up with some friends, with some locals there to chow down. Guys, enjoy this episode. It's a, we're actually witnessing Kevin and Aisha building their business from the ground up, and it's only fitting because they're developers, so it's always going to be from the ground up. Anyways, let's get into the tip of the week, and then we'll get straight into the show. Ray's tip of the week. Okay, good people. So we have a short but sweet tip of the week this week. Many people that I know who have corporate or nine to five or professional jobs, including some of my students and my clients, have been granted the ability to work from home. Now, of course, this doesn't mean do any less work than you would normally do, but I also understand the dynamics of working from home because I've been working from home not only for the past four years of my entrepreneurial journey, but also a ton when I was actually a corporate worker. So I want you to take advantage of your ability to work from home and pick up a new skill, pick up a new craft, and maybe even pick up a new income stream. There is so much opportunity right now. And again, we're going to cover this on a later episode with a data mining expert as it pertains to this whole coronavirus. Um, but there's so much opportunity right now. And, and before I get to the opportunity, I just want to make sure that we're all doing our best to maintain a healthy immune system. We're washing our hands. We're wearing gloves and wiping down doors as we open them. And we're being really cognizant and not careless of the elders and or the weak immune that may or may not be around us. Okay, so with that being said, there is opportunity in the market. I mean, stocks are dropping and they're dropping fast. The airline industry is headed for a bailout and the entire real estate terrain can be viewed as super shaky right now. But as you've heard over 100 millionaires on the show talk about, opportunity comes in times like this. So what does this mean really? What does this mean for you and how can you take advantage of this? Well, one of my mastermind members and I were talking the other day and we were like, man, it would be, it would be who of us, not ever really being interested in the stock market, but it would be who of us to just gain a little bit more knowledge in the space, pick up a new skill and possibly learn a new investment strategy that has nothing to do with real estate. So use your free time wisely because there's so much opportunity out there. 
And there's so much that you can be doing with this time, especially if you're in a position to where the future is not clear and the future at your job may not be clear. I mean, layoffs are I mean, layoffs are happening left and right and they're happening to top performers. And I don't want to send you in a full panic or frenzy, but this is also not a time to be lax. This is a time to take action. This is a time to be attentive. This is a time to be resourceful. And this is your opportunity to invest, to start creating generational wealth for yourself and your family. So with that being said, use the next few days or weeks or months that you have wisely. Now let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. I think that that we're both pretty ambitious people and that's what attracted us to one another. So we have the podcast Marriage and Real Estate and we work well together. Um, And so the fact that we're both ambitious people, what we realized when we got together was that we saw the value in real estate and creating generational wealth and building wealth through real estate. And that's kind of how our journey started together, Kevin and Aisha in real estate. Because you wanted to invest in real estate before we ever met. That's true. So So when, when did you, when did you guys meet? In 2014. In 2014. So this was after college. Yes, yes, yes. So okay. uh, we didn't know each other in college. I'm, I'm younger than her. I'll, I'll just say that. <laughs> okay. <But> I wasn't <laughs> at the same time. I, I wanted to be, but uh, I was in school um, until 2014. I actually graduated in 2014. I was in college for 10 years um, on a very long journey of my own. Wow. But um, I, I originally started my first construction company at the age of 17, um, just kind of responding to my want to build and coming from a background of landscapers in my family. Uh, And that was my first attempt at business. Um, So that company uh, I had for, or was it, it was, no, it wasn't 17, it was 19, I was 19. It was right before my daughter was born, my oldest daughter. and that company, I did renovations, home renovations and repair uh, right around the Harvey time. And uh, not Harvey, right around Ike, 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 Hurricane Ike. So I renovated my mother's house. And from that, everybody else wanted me to renovate their houses. So I started a company and I was still working full time. I actually was managing a hotel overnight. Um, I was selling cameras for Sony on the weekends and I was um working for Highland Homes, building homes during the day. So I had a lot of things going on um, and I was running my own company. So the first iteration of that company, I shut down when I went into commercial construction because one of the lessons I learned was paying the bills is really hard. And it's easier to work for somebody else than it is for yourself. If you don't start off with a bunch of capital, um, it can be really, really hard to live and to run your business. So Um, I shut that company down and I actually promised myself that the next time that I would go into business had to be a different kind of time. And I honestly didn't want to go into business until I got with Aisha and we decided to go into it together. So I'll marry those two things. For me, I was a, uh, after I graduated from the University of Houston, go Cougs, um, I worked at Washington Mutual Bank as a personal banker in uh, one of the affluent areas of Houston, Texas, um, in West University. And so 
At my desk sat many people with lots of money and generational wealth. And what I found was that strangers really like to tell their own business, right? So people would sit at my desk and tell me about how they amass their wealth, how they manage their wealth, and they would also give me recommendations on books to read. So that's when it sparked for me, right? Um, Traditionally, my family did not know about real estate investing. That's not something that was passed down generally generationally to us. It was go to school, get a degree, get a good job. But the people that sat in front of me had a different life path and they also had different guidance from their parents. So that's where I learned about real estate investing and how it can dramatically change your life. So I began reading. And at 24, I believe I I bought my first home. Um, It was during the economic depression in 2008. So I built a home from the ground up for like $90,000, brand new house from the ground up. I got to pick finishes. I'm 24 years old. I think I'm really cool. Um, Single. And I always knew that that would be my first rental property. I didn't know how I would achieve that. I did not have a high income job. I worked in early childhood education, but I was able to build and purchase a home uh, at 24 years old. And I knew that this would be my first rental property. And so that's all I knew. That was the extent of the story. So when we marry those two together, Kevin and Aisha come together, right? Mm-hmm. And in 2014. In 2014. And we realized when we were dating that we both had aspirations of owning real estate. And that was exciting for both of us. So it's really cool when you meet somebody, when you find a partner who can, who has the same vision as you, Right. It's cool that you that you love each other and that there's that spark. But then there's also like, what does your life look like? What does your life design look like? And when those two things marry, it's really awesome. Which the funny thing is, books was actually the bigger spark for us in our dating mm-hmm. life. Because the first question I asked her is, what are you currently reading? Mm. And it was something that she hadn't heard a lot from us. <laughs> <laughs> no, no first meeting, great question. I mean, I was, I was just, I was floored. I was, I was enamored. I was like, I called all my friends. I said, oh my God, girl, he asked me what book was I reading? Like, who does that? Right. Um, and it happened to be, I want to say it happened to be a real estate book or a personal development book. It was personal development. And our, I mean, we, our relationship just flourished from there. I think it was the power of persuasion. Power persuades such a good yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, fellas, if, if, if there's any takeaway so far is that, hey, the, the secret line, the secret line, guys, is what book are you currently reading? <laughs> <laughs> See, that only works if you actually read, because if you don't have a book to, to throw in the mix, uh, then you're kind of like left stumped. So, you know. Going back to you, Kevin. So you were in construction in a professional capacity. You started your own business and then you kind of decided that, you know, maybe this wasn't the thing for you to do at this time. And I I want to, if you're comfortable with with it, I want to talk about that 10 year period you're in college and and psychologically, psychologically, what's going on? Um, Why are you in college for 10? My best friend was in college uh, undergrad for 10 years as well. Um, But psychologically, what's going on? Um, what, what are your friends telling you? What, what, what's family telling you? What's your overall vision? What's your mindset like? How is, how is, how is life, how is life working for you at this point before, uh, you and Aisha meet? So for me, um, the interesting thing is I have an amazing work ethic, but, um, I was a, a pretty bad student and I'm one of those kind of students that always thought I was a little bit too smart for class, right? So you just get bored or whatever. But business always 
uh, inspired me. Like in high school, I was the president of uh, DECA, uh, which was the business and marketing organization in my high school, ran both the school stores, the whole nine. But in college, it really, I wasn't really trying to do all the school thing. I worked. And because I had a child at 20, I worked four jobs for the first three years of her life because I didn't have any money. Right. So um, when you don't come from money, all you know is if I go work, I can produce income. School becomes kind of a backseat to that, because at that point, you're trying to support yourself, support your family. And it was far less important um, to be a good student or necessarily get out of school faster. School wasn't paying my bills. Right. Like I didn't live on campus. I didn't have a meal plan. I didn't have the traditional college experience. I worked a job, you know, every day I'd, I'd go to class. And it's funny, years later, one of my classmates, because my degree is in construction. Um, one of my classmates, he had lunch with me and he's like, man, you used to sleep in class. I said, well, I was sleeping in class. So I was working overnight. You know what I mean? Or I was working from six in the morning until two in the afternoon. And what went through my mind in that 10 year period was if I build my career, I can have a living. I can make a living. So by the time I graduated, I was already in a project management position, which is something that you spend 10 years working your way up. If you graduated today, it would take you roughly 10 years in a commercial setting. 10 years is a fast clip to become a project manager. Uh, I was a project manager before I graduated. I was making $100,000 a year before I walked across the stage. So work was far more important than school. Now, I still needed the degree, but I used the degree while I was getting it the whole time, right? Like I represented my companies that I worked for, various companies at U of H while going to U of H, <laughs> which was interesting. Uh, but it was a testament to my work ethic. I remember I had a, we saw this guy a couple of, a couple of months ago, but um, there was an operations manager who promoted me to assistant project manager. And I remember him saying, well, you know, you don't have your degree. And the only reason we're promoting you is because of the, the amazing work that you do. I said, well, why would you promote anybody if they didn't do amazing work? The degree alone doesn't indicate where you go. It's what you do. Mm-hmm. You can have a degree for days. I mean, if you can't produce, it don't matter. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And and Aisha, I want to talk to your exposure earlier on because I mean, you were working at a bank that I've never heard of before, and that and I'm I'm only <laughs> I'm only joking because they're extinct. Um, you were working for Wamu, and you were exposed to people who didn't grow up similar to how you grew up. Mm-hmm. You were exposed to. You know, it reminds me of when I when I had a, a an accounting job. Like I was I was exposed to so much more, and I was just like, "There's so much more in life. There's so much out there," and, and that kind of triggered your your that triggered your your thirst for knowledge. And you started reading some of these real estate books. And when you met when you met Kevin, and did you had your first property before you met Kevin. Yes. Okay. So so when you met Kevin, you you and this was a single family home, and you were actually living in this property, correct? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So when you met Kevin and you, you have a, a ton of ideas and, you know, you're, you haven't yet assimilated in the real estate world, but you know that it's somewhere that you want to go. How did how did um, how did the first business idea, first business plan kind of come about? Because I see you as the person who was like, look, this is this is what's possible for us. 
and then Kevin as like the person who can kind of implement. I could be totally wrong. I want you guys to kind of totally break it down for me. But like I see Kevin. No, you're 100 percent accurate. You're totally right. So <laughs> the the what has manifested with with Kevin and Aisha and and the what we've built, the empire that we built together is only because of us. So Kevin had the the hands on knowledge, right? He went to construction school. He was a project manager. He did the he did the work of a real estate I'm laughing at you say construction school. Oh. I think of- <laughs> <laughs> he had the he had the hands-on experience. And the one thing that I had was the book knowledge, right? So I read how you I've read Robert Kiyosaki. I've read all of the iconic books that help put you on the path to real estate entrepreneurship. And so we both, the, it's the combination of the two of us that created that. I'll tell you a funny story and how we bought our first flip. You've actually had this guest on your podcast because um, Aisha found your podcast, hence why we listen to your podcast. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, Aisha found Bigger Pocket. She found all the resources that we then used in, in building up our real estate education. But uh, there was one couple um, that bought a property off of Zone. XOME. And they were on your podcast in 2017. Um, and they told the story of they wanted to invest in a property. They went on Zoom and they found this property, won it in an auction. And then that's how they got into their first property. I was listening to that episode because um, they were on bigger pockets than they were on your podcast back to back. So I listened to both those episodes. And I was talking to Aisha and I said, man, I'm just going to check on Zoom. We found our first flip on Zoom. Wow. Bought it, literally won that auction like a week after that and got our first flip. Done. Where, where's my commission, Kevin? Uh, <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, so it sounds like the very first thing you guys decided to do was a flip, right? No, no, no. Actually, the funny thing is that was the third thing. The first thing we did was... Uh, and we always talk about planning, but we had a plan on how we wanted to kind of execute this because we knew we wanted to, uh, of course, we were together. I had an apartment at the time. We moved into her house um, to save our money and let go of our apartment. This is before we were married, before we were engaged, whatever. Um, put our our plan together, have our wedding and, and do our thing because we wanted to do all that before we got into investing. So we put our salaries together to maximize because- Before you're engaged. Before we were engaged, wow. because the thing about it is we knew there was more power together than separate. Mm-hmm. She had this house, which she knew would be a rental property. But even in her career profession, the income is capped, right? Like you could have a master. She has a master's degree. You might make 50, 60 grand a year. Mm-hmm. My industry, just 10 years of experience, you'll make 100 plus. So we put our money together. We said, OK, economically together, we're more powerful. So we put all our funds together. We literally paid for our wedding in cash. We paid off all our debt. We prepared ourselves to start investing in real estate. And we did three things simultaneously. When we, the week before we had our wedding, we both, uh, I didn't have a car at the time. I was driving a, a company truck. But when I graduated, I knew I was leaving my job to a better position, a higher paid position at another company. So we bought two cars right before our wedding which seems like weird, but uh, we did it strategically. So we bought the cars, we had the wedding, we paid for the wedding, turned um, her house into our primary residence. And then literally within six months of that, 
we got pregnant and started construction on the house that we live in now, which is a, a new construction house. So we started, we put the down payment or whatever, and this house is in my name, her house is in her name. But we did that strategically so that we could turn her house into a rental and then take a HELOC out on that house before we moved into our new house to purchase our first flip. Wow. So wow. we did all of that by just strategically planning it. But we ended up with uh, two cars, at, you know, a 2% interest rate, uh, paid for our wedding cash so that we wouldn't have to worry about the debt from that, and then used our money to pay down our debt so that when we got to a position where we could get into our new house, um, we literally took a chance. Well, not a chance. It was a strategic decision, but we had like $1,700 in, in our emergency savings. Uh, but there were some things we wanted in our house to make our house uh, what we wanted it to be. So we had to pay that money up front. So we literally, I told Aisha, I said, well, look, we're going to take this $1,700 to put it into this house to get the house that we want to move into. So we're sacrificing this now so that we can get more on the back end later. And we did just that. We paid that $1,700. Uh, we started the construction of the house. As soon as our house was close to being ready, we did a HELOC on her house, used that money to buy our first flip, and then we were off to the races. Wow. Now we had one rental and one flip, and we were doing it. That's, that's amazing. And you guys have grown so rapidly. Like I'm just like, this is just a few years ago. Like This is not even... You know, you, you just told me before the call, Kevin, that you guys you guys completely chunked the deuce to the full time job in 2019. So congratulations, man. And, you know, I think about the the intersection between experience and even between you guys' experience. I always tell people like, you know, I'm sure you guys get it all the time. How do I get started in real estate? How do I do what you do? How do I buy my first property? And um, I used to answer people's questions straightforward, like however I thought was the best possible way. But, you know, as for the, over the past few months and really over the past few years, you know, I've, I've created like a formula where I kind of break it down because every single individual is different. Like we all have different goals. Right. We all have different experiences. You know, we all have different backgrounds. And I always try to find the intersection between where you are and where you want to go. Right. And I look at your experience, Kevin, and I look at your experience, Aisha, and I'm just like, your experience has propelled you to where you want to go. Right. I started out in accounting. I was a I was an invest uh, an investment analyst after I after I was an accountant. So it was very easy for me to go into the syndication space because I was learning that all day, every day at work. Whereas somebody who's, you know, a doctor or somebody who's, you know, uh, a florist. Right. It's, it'll be a, a lot more of a learning curve for them to get started in the field like that. So I always, I'm always like, OK, what's your education in this place? What exactly do you want to do? Right. And then once you kind of figure out the medium between what you want to do and what you have, it's very easy to kind of cultivate that plan. And it seems like you guys have executed that with perfection. Right. And I want to I want to start talking about because I think it's so important not only to, to execute such a solid plan, but to know the goal as to why you're executing that plan. And as you guys know, this podcast is all about lifestyle design, right? It's about using real estate as a vehicle to create your ultimate lifestyle. And I know that since you guys are such meticulous planners, that you guys have a vision. And I want to touch on that vision before we get into some nuts and bolts of construction and development. I want to touch on what that vision is for you guys and, and, and kind of the timeline of that. Because again, I, I, it's very rare that you see people um, progress so rapidly. So I know that the vision is big. And I, wanna, I want you to share that with our listeners here today. So the interesting thing is your vision changes over time, right? Like once you start the path of the journey, you 
you you figure out what you like and what you don't like. So I think for us, um, when we started in 2015 planning our life, uh, our life looks different year over year over year. And we actually conference every year so we can we're doing a better job of that now is tracking that that deviation, that change. But uh, I'd say for us, our ultimate goal is our well, how can I put this? Because we have a, a couple of different definitions of success, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but time is an important factor. We want to have more time with our family. We want to enjoy time with um, our children. Um, we want to enjoy time with each other without the limitations of income, right? Like when you're tied to a job, your income and your time are attached. You got to work to make the income so that you you can pay your bills and all these other things. So investments are just vehicles that help give you more time or more access to your own time. Right. Um, but that doesn't inherently solve all the other problems that come in life or all the other challenges that come in life. Cause there's plenty of things that come, um, that you can't necessarily see. So I think for us, it's how do we have peace in our life now? Really that's, that's where our vision has become is, how can we use our investments as a vehicle to create more peace, create more, um, more of that time that we want, create more freedom to explore our passions, things like that. Um, and that's kind of where it evolved to. It started off with like big numbers. We want this or whatever. Um, but when you synthesize all that down, it becomes what do you actually enjoy? What means the most to you? Because you can have a billion dollars and hate your life. It's an evolution. So the plan is is definitely an evolution. And I think when we we started out, like most people, your plan is extreme. It's very grandiose. It's like, oh, I want to have you know a five million dollar company, and I want to build to this to this capacity. And what you discover along the journey, um, you 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 make those changes accordingly. You pivot accordingly. And so for us, we did scale very quickly. We have scaled very quickly. And what our vision looked like in 2015, 2016 looks very different than what it did. Look, then looks very different than what it does today. I love that. So walk me through your, your first major failure or maybe a parent failure. And how has that set you up for later success? That's a good question. Um, I would say in in starting our journey, even going full time, the thing that um, that we didn't do so well in 2019 was look at our goals consistently, mm-hmm. right? Um, which we're doing much better this year. So we had uh, we conference every year. So every year around November, December, we come together. We've been doing it since 2015, um, where we come together and set our goals and agenda for the next year as a couple. So K and A is Kevin and Aisha. And Kevin and Aisha have been a company before we ever had anything, right? We met as a company, had meeting minutes and the whole nine together um, every year. Yeah, I mean, to plan our personal life and our business life, right? Um, And what we found is we'll set all these goals and we'll start the journey and we won't look at those goals again till the end of the year. So in 2019, we had really lofty goals. We're going to leave our job or whatever. So as those things happened, we didn't look back to see, okay, maybe you should course correct here. Maybe you should course correct here. Maybe you should course correct here. And 
as a part of that, in our 2019 journey, some of the things we didn't do so well uh, was we scaled up really quick, and then we, we looked at it and said, this isn't really what we want. We didn't achieve this how we wanted to. So we started to scale down to pivot to things that actually were in line with what we wanted, right? And I think having the ability to we give yourself- an example, Kevin. Okay, so I'll give you an example. We were gonna develop 15 properties in 2019. So the time in the course of 2019, we were like, okay, we're gonna develop these 50, we acquired all the land, we did all these uh, plans, we did all the stuff. And then what we realized is the time that it took to develop them, the margins on the properties wasn't enough to make it worth the time. So what we did is we started liquidating the properties because why would we hold on to something that just cost us every month and we're not going to do anything with it in the time to yield the best, highest use. So then we had to look at that strategy and say, this is a strategy that could work if you did everything and the time didn't cost you. So you have to look at it and say, am I going to realize the highest and best use of this land in the time that I have it before it costs me more than it's worth? And we said, no. So we had to let it go. Right. So then we liquidated the land. Now the benefit is we were able to sell all the lots that we bought um, and not lose other than the time that we lost or maybe the holding costs so that we could see now we want to pivot to a different strategy. So starting smaller, going into 2020 and say, okay, 2020, we're going to build five houses. And that's it. Because those five houses, there's no stress. There's no, you know what I mean? And you can yield better results than running really, really fast to get nowhere. Wow. Which a lot of people in the development game is capital intensive, right? That's the biggest lesson in development. Unless you scale very big, margins are much smaller. So you almost have to do volume to make it worth your time if you're going to do um, single family housing versus, you know, if you build one or two and you don't have the stress, that's more valuable. If you're building 15 and you have all the stress, it's not as valuable. There's a reason that big builders build 150 houses, 200 houses at a time. Right. So that was a just a, one of the failure and not necessarily a, a a lesson that we learned in 2019 mm-hmm. uh, is do we want to scale this model the same way? Because a big thing that we learned in 2019, we call it panic or pivot, is how to pivot your business, right? Like um, there's even different iterations of that, right? Like uh, how our podcast came to be and then what the final form is. We're always getting better. So we have to allow ourselves the space to pivot whether that's pivot for an opportunity or pivot to refine something and make it better um, so that it can be the best thing for us versus um, just keep going with the course of action that no longer makes sense just because you said you would do it. Yeah. Right. Like we're going to, we're going to build 15 houses. Now we might build 15 houses and make $10,000 per house. And we could have built one house and made a hundred thousand dollars. That don't, those two things don't make sense, but, you said you're going to do it, you're going to do it. That doesn't make sense. So people have to learn to let themselves off the hook for those goals that maybe don't make sense anymore. Yeah. Right? I, and I love that's why, that's why it's always important to have the vision and know the overall goal, know the overall vision and know that the pieces to get you there, 
you may have them planned out, but they can and should change over time to still get you to your overall vision. So that's beautiful. Aisha, when, when Kevin talked about processes, and I, I want to know what processes you guys have, have been involved in and, and what you guys are pursuing now as far as development goes, if it's only development. I know you guys have rentals as well, but when, when he mentioned the fact that there are processes that you guys no longer pursue, such as when you guys bought those plots of land and you're like, okay, this is not something we should do. What are some of the things you guys have done in the past and what are you guys strictly focused on now here in 2020? That's a good question. <laughs> is it strictly single family homes? Is that what you guys bread and butter? No. Um, so that was a part of our pivot for 2020. So my background is primarily in commercial construction. The margins on commercial construction is much better than single family housing. So one of our pivots was to limit our exposure to single family housing to 30% of our business instead of making it like 2019, it was our bread and butter. It was kind of the, the big man on the horse. Uh, and that was part of the lessons that uh, we learned was we don't want that. It's not the single family housing game. It's not, it's not a small man's game in, in small volume, right? It works for onesies, twosies, but to scale it, you got to scale really big. So for us pivoting that strategy, I think for Aisha, it was the separation of a business. Like we, we run Airbnbs. One of the lessons we learned in 2019 is although our Airbnbs are profitable, the time that it takes to manage them, we decided we no longer want to focus on that. So you could talk to that. And, and I think that, I think, I think that what, what we, what we learned and what we want to implement in 2020 is um, our word is simplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2019, we, we did a lot of we things. We, we renovated, we built new, we renovated single family homes. We built single family homes. We had an Airbnb portfolio. We did education classes. We did a lot of we things. Bought we bought a portfolio of 27 properties in Beaumont. Like we did a lot of stuff. And in 20, that was very stressful. Mm-hmm. In 2020, we, we want to do less stuff very well. We want to do less stuff very well. That is true. So, you know, I mean, I think, I think a good lesson for, for both of us and me especially was that, you know, full-time entrepreneurship isn't as sexy as it looks on social media. Um, that's something that very many people aspire to, but the, what comes with that is, is a lot different than you could ever imagine. And when you're at your nine to five and you're at your desk and you don't like your boss and you don't like your coworkers, you think that is the, the answer to all of your <laughs> woes yeah. until you become an entrepreneur. <laughs> um, so I think that, you know, our processes now are, you know, what are we going to do in 2020 going forward that creates prosperity, but still gives us peace? Mm. Lifestyle design. I love that. I love that so much. And before we get into some, uh, I kind of want to walk through uh, what a transaction looks like from the time you buy land all the way up until you you sell the property off. But before we get into that, I want to learn about the yin and yang of you guys' business relationship. Uh, you guys have a podcast called Marriage and Real Estate. I mean, so I'm sure you guys talk about this all the time. Like, what's the yin and yang and how do you guys kind of symbiotically make sure that you're not, you guys are not stepping on each other's toes and, you know, this is what Aisha is assigned to, this is what Kevin is assigned to, or are you guys always coming together and creating a plan? Like, how does that look on a day-to-day basis? So I'm, I'm the action, right? Uh, Aisha's, it's exactly what you described. Aisha's the plan, I'm the action. I always say she's the brains and I'm the builder. Right. 
Um, so she generally sets the vision, uh, not the granular vision, but the overarching vision, like getting into real estate from a perspective of investment was, okay, look, we can leverage our salaries and, and invest this way, or here's these resources we can use. And then what I'll do is I'll go dig into the details of all the resources and put them into play, right? Um, so typically what that looks like is we'll come together and uh, either we we already have a previous plan on, on where we want to go, right? So Aisha might have a, a vision on what she wants our lifestyle to look like. Um, say, okay, well, we want to have $10,000 in passive income. Well, how do we get there? And then I'll put together the, the pieces uh, for how we actually can achieve it. And then we're both responsible now to review that and see if it's working and see if it's not, because she's a very objective person. So she has a lot of good insight to, hey, you know, the rubber don't meet the road here. We need to do this here or whatever. Uh, and I'm charged with implementing those things. And I think even in the day to day, that's something that we had to learn. Right. So when two when two partners get together and try to run a business together, I think you have to learn that you have to separate. Um, there was I think it was Jay Papazan and his wife were on Bigger Pockets, and maybe it wasn't Jay. Maybe it was it was one of the Keller Williams founders was on Bigger Pockets recently. Maybe it was Jay, Jay and Wendy Papazon. And they were talking about how, you know, why doesn't a company have two CEOs? Why doesn't a company have two CFOs? Because there's the conflict in between. And so we've come we've we've experienced that before too, where Kevin has an idea a decision that he wants to make about something, and I have a different reason or a different perspective on it. And then there's that stalemate between the two of us. Well, when we designate, this is your area and this is my area, when there is a decision that needs to come from that, then that comes from that one person. So if I'm the CFO of this company, when it comes to financial things, then that's my decision. Ultimately, I'll take and listen to what you have to say, but ultimately that's my area of expertise. That's my strength. Mm -hmm. And so we rely, we've learned to rely on one another's strengths instead of both of us trying to come together and make this decision. Yeah. Like, so we separate our business on the development side and the construction side. That's completely my wheelhouse, right? That's not her baby. She doesn't build stuff. That's not her thing. Now, on the managing real estate side, the investment side of that, as far as uh, what we're going to do, where we're going to put our money, then she's more into that. So she has a real estate license. She controls the transaction side of that. She controls what we do on our podcast and, and how we actually format that or how we interact with um, social media and whatever, because that's not my wheelhouse. I don't do that well. Social media gives me all kinds <laughs> of anxiety. Yeah, i on that. Um, I want I want to get into some strategy, guys, because I know that there there are a certain subset of people who are going to be very interested in construction and development, and I want to know, like, ultimately, like, who should think about getting into this line of work, and how should one determine as to whether, hey, this is something that I should do, as opposed to maybe being a passive investor or or pursuing a totally different real estate strategy altogether. Like I want to know like what what is the again what is the avatar of the person who should think about getting into development work. So the avatar for a developer is somebody who um, can take information, process it and make a decision effectively and 
not necessarily relatively quickly, but understand the impact of time. I think that um, there's a lot of moving pieces to development that you have to understand. I always equate it to being the uh, conductor in an orchestra, right? So you don't need to know how to play the saxophone, but you need to know how the saxophone should sound, right? You don't need to know how to play the trombone, but you need to know, you know, what tune the trombone needs to be on or whatever, because it's your job to ultimately make sure the outcome is produced. Um, and that takes a, a personality of somebody who can juggle all those balls, right? Because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things that come at you in the course of the development that test you. And if you don't have the resiliency to handle that, the stresses of it all, it can break you. You know what I mean? Like even just building a house, there's several objections that you have to overcome in the process of building just one house. Right. Um, but the amazing part about it is we live in a world, um, everything around you, whether it's the house you live in now, the city you live in was based on somebody's decisions on the developer's decisions. Right. Like somebody said, I'm going to build this city like this, and this is how it's going to be, and people are going to live here. It just took vision. So you need vision. You need determination and will. Uh, you need the ability to, to capture the details and make decisions based on that. Um, and then you need resiliency as well as, um, I would say, being a people person helps. But, right? but, not, but, not be, but so, so you're saying, Kevin – but you don't need the extensive background that you had. Somebody can come and learn this craft and be able to be um, prosperous and successful if they have the key attributes that you just portrayed and they're willing to learn about the business. Yes. Yes. So you got to you, you have to put the work in to actually learn it, which as I grow in my development career, getting bigger and bigger is still an activity of learning. Right. Like I on my goals for 2019, I have education goals, just how I continue to educate myself. Uh, on even more extensive development processes uh, because it's ever evolving thing. It's a continuously moving machine and you have to be willing to submit yourself to the education and be a lifetime student because development isn't stagnant. Yeah. It doesn't stay the same. If you come next year, it'll be different. There'll be new regulations. There'll be new rules and you have to always be learning these things. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. And I want to walk through, um, I want to walk through a quick example. Maybe it can be one of you guys' deals, but I want the listeners to really get a grasp on what this looks like and, and kind of from, from beginning to end from the, again, from the, from the point where you, you know, you purchase a, a plot of land to, you know, the permits, the, the forecasting that Aisha's doing, the, um, the material, the labor, and then the marketing to get the property sold. Like maybe walk through one specific case study to kind of uh, help the listeners better grasp the development process. Because I've always been, you know, and I'm very green when it comes to this, but I've always been a proponent of like, man, it's, it's a really, really, really risky business. Um, just because there's there's long holding periods and you're not really sure where the market's going to be by the time it's time to sell and things of that nature. So I kind of want you guys to maybe walk through a, a case study and just give us some numbers as to how this looks from a general perspective of a single family home. Okay, uh, I'll give um, an example from a project that we just finished and we syndicated this with over 11 different investors. So um, essentially this was a single family home in an older neighborhood uh, in South Houston. No new home had been built in this neighborhood in over 20 years. So there were no comps. Um, so it was, it was definitely a risky play 
but I understood uh, that area uh, being from South Houston. And I knew that if we could introduce a, a property that would be attractive enough for somebody to buy, we could set the confidence market, which we ultimately did. So uh, what that looked like is us investing our initial capital in the land. So we created the plan and we acquired the land with our own capital before we ever did anything with our investors. We put together a prospectus based on that, um, showing what our intended ARV was, what our construction cost was. So we had to understand the construction numbers. We had to understand what our land cost was, what our sales cost was. High, le high level, high level if you can. Give us numbers so again we can follow. Uh, so we paid 21K for this particular lot. Uh, it was almost 8,000 square feet, so it was a huge lot. Uh, we built uh, 1,800 square foot home. I want to say all in construction wise, we were right at 160, 170. I'd have to look at my numbers, but um, and then ultimately, and that included financing with those numbers. So that's raising the money, paying our investors, all that good jazz. Uh, we sold that house for 245. So after, I want to say it was like. 18 grand in sales costs. Let me look at that. Hold on. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. And Aisha, while he's doing that, from the time of purchase, from, you know, you guys bought the plot of land till it was sold, how long, what was that time frame like? From the time of purchase to when we sold it, it was a little bit over a year. Yeah, so 13 months. Wow. And I think we projected um, less than that. Um, and mm -hmm. we learned different. Well, so the difficulties in that market was in the course of acquiring the land and designing the project, they reclassified the area as a flood zone after Hurricane Harvey. Wow. So one of the, the problems with that is it changed the dynamic of build. It increased our construction costs. It increased our permitting time. So we were in permitting for eight months. Um, fighting with the city. This is what this is what scares me. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a risk, right? So, um, they sent us through. I mean, virtual hell. We ended up raising the house four feet to clear the flood threshold um, and making it a a house on wood pilings, almost like a beach house. Um, and then we built the house, and it was sold before we finished construction. So the first buyer that walked that house bought, um, which that proves that it's a great product, but it's the time. So one of the things that we did in the process, uh, in the process of our journey, we acquired a lot across the street because since we went through all that trouble with the first house, we knew now that we got it figured out, we can move faster on the second house, right? Because now we know what they're looking for. Now we know what that would be. So that's also a lesson learned in development is once you go through all the hurdles, don't just leave your ball in the middle of basketball court and go home, double down. Um, double down when you know that you can you can make it happen. So we sold that house for 245. Our profit was constricted because of the time. So we ended up clearing a little bit over 20K on that house. But um, the lesson learned is what they were looking for in the flood regulations, what they were looking for in the time. Uh, the lot was extremely big. We probably could have uh, cut the lot in half and built two homes on the same lot to make it more valuable. So now on the lot across the street, we're subdividing it. 
We're building two homes instead of one that we can then sell at the same price point as we sold the first one with the same cost of land split between two houses, not one. So we turned our, we turned our opportunities into opportunities. Oh, well. Yeah. Cause I mean, Kevin, I don't, I don't see a, I don't see a 20 K spread. I see, I see so much more value than that. I mean, I see like you guys, I mean, the, the experience and education and the know-how that you guys receive through that process is, is going to, is going to, is going to bode well for you for years to come. I mean, think about all the things that you've said have happened through that, through that transaction and after, and because of that transaction, like I see the, the residual effect, positive residual effects across the board, man. So that, that, that's beautiful. And again, like, I think that, when it comes to developing property per se, um, you know, my biggest thing has always been the holding period, right? Just, just understanding where the markets are, what's all the things that you guys are going through. So I'm glad that you guys are being open uh, with that because again, it is a concern, but at the same time, I want the listeners to know that you guys are professionals. There are certain ways to hedge, right? Against some of these, some of these concerns. So when you guys are thinking about, uh, when you guys are thinking about, okay, um, you know, there's a certain timeline that we that we think we can get this done, right? But we want to buffer and we want to make sure that we can get our money back to our investors. How do you guys, how do you guys, how do you guys, I guess, facilitate that, that padding? How do you guys project and, and kind of make sure that the, the right, like, again, you guys could have easily lost money on this deal, mm-hmm. right? And, and, but you didn't. So I know that there had to be some foresight to make sure that it was still a profitable deal, even though it may not have been as profitable as you wanted it to be. I mean, I feel like that's a part of of investing, right? Like there's always, regardless of how much planning or pre-planning you do, there's always the risk of of losing money on a deal or 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 your investors losing money on a deal as well. That's a part of the game that we play. Um, for us, what's really important is always making sure that our investors are whole. Um, we went to a presentation before where a guy talked about an, an investment that went bad for him and he liquidated some of his personal assets so he can make his investors whole. That's the philosophy that we have. Now, I know other people who are real estate investors and use other people's funds and they say, hey, that's just the risk that you took and that's a part of the process of real estate investing. So it's kind of, to me, there's always that risk. I mean, there were people who were developing at the same time that Hurricane Harvey or had properties on the market during the time of Hurricane Harvey here in Houston and they lost a lot of money. You understand what I'm saying? And they had investors that lost a lot of money as well. It is a part of the process. It's not the most fun part of the process, but it does happen. Um, For us, we are the kind of people that have the integrity that if we have investors on a project and it doesn't go in the direction that we want it to go in, we're willing to liquidate what we have in order to make those people whole. Now, I'll second that and say... Communication is big for us. Mm -hmm. So we send out a monthly update to all of our investors, um, not only for uh, an individual project, but all of our company as a whole. And we've been doing that over two years now. Mm -hmm. So with that, you can see the progress, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest risks in investing in projects is also it's kind of like uh, no news is good news. And I don't necessarily believe that when it comes to investing your money, you want to see some news. So even when we went through hurdles and it's funny because one of our, one of our investors in the syndication asked us specifically when he was investing, what happens if you go through 
uh, obstacles. How are you going to handle these obstacles? And literally in the course of that project, we we went through all these different obstacles and we communicated what we were doing during the process. Like, hey, the city sent us back these comments. Here's how we are addressing them. Hey, they asked us to do this hydro tests, whatever, for floodwaters. We we did that. Here's how we responded. Um, so they got to see the entire journey, like written, documented, pictures, everything, what we were going through, invite them out to the site. We had a an investor's open house specifically for our investors on the project for them to see the house before it was completed. We had one again when the house was done to say, hey, look, we're done. Uh, come look at your money at work. Because for us, not only do we want to protect your investment, but we also want you to understand the risk, understand the the things that we go to to produce this. And even if we would have made a dollar or broke even and our investors would have made money, that's a win. For that's us. a success for us. And people always want to say, like, how, what's the safest way to invest in real estate? Don't do it. <laughs> I, I honestly think that's the that's the safest way because inherently there's there's risk and but with big risk comes big reward and you just have to understand your own personal uh, risk tolerance. I love that so much. Um, you know, my mom is a is a is a thriving entrepreneur, and we we often see uh, we often see different viewpoints when it comes to just being an entrepreneur, and even even when it comes to um, investing in others and, and things of that nature. Like, you know, I have the viewpoint where, where let me start with her. She has the viewpoint where it's like, Hey, like I want to work with somebody. I want to work like her. So she's working with a syndicate. I want to work with somebody who has a track record, a 100% scot-free, no blemish track record. Like I want to know that you've done this in the past. You've been successful every single time. Therefore you, you will continue to be successful. <laughs> and I understand that. And I was just like, mom, that's great. Like that's, that's amazing. But I want the exact opposite. Right. I want somebody <laughs> I want somebody who, who's been through it, somebody who's lost it all, somebody who's had trials and tribulations and they're still here. They wow. from those mistakes, they've been able to, you know, they've been able to counteract all the bad things that have happened because if something happens in the future, I know that they'll be able to take care of it. And I'm just wondering what you guys' viewpoint on that is. You know, it's funny, we were watching Shark Tank last night. Um, and Aisha, she she likes doesn't like Shark Tank. I love Shark Tank. I'm a Shark Tank guy. <laughs> um, so there was one investor who who got up and he talked about his product, and he said everything that I've ever done works. Mm. I've, I've never had a failure in business. And I thought about that, and I was like, when a failure comes, this gonna wipe you out. <laughs> You've never gone through it, like we've had our asses kicked in this real estate journey, not to, you know, forgive my language, but um, real estate ain't easy. Yeah. It'll break your heart. Like a single family house will break your heart. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when Hurricane Harvey came, a renovation will break, break your, your heart. heart. Like we, uh, and I'll give you a, a prime example. We did a flip um, and it was a flip where all of our, I mean, we did our whole thing. We did this beautiful renovation and the appraisal came in and we took a $19,000 hit. And literally I was like, Oh, I mean, from the curds. (laughs) You put all this work into something for somebody to say, all this work is beautiful, but it's not, but it's not valuable. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Now our investor made his money on that deal. Great. And we made a little bit of money. It's not like we made nothing, but for what we we're gonna make, 
you know what I mean? And and, and the risk of it, we could have just done something else with our time. Why do all the work? So it's projects like that that give you the resolve because it's not going to go your way all the time. Like that's probably the biggest journey. And, and I'll speak to this when you ask some of the specific questions, but the biggest thing people have to learn is, and I'm a, I'm a huge planner. I'm a huge, like I want it to be this way is when it all goes to the left, when it doesn't go your way, right? What do you do right. when it all goes the opposite way? How do you recover? What things do you put in place to just hold it together? And the, the benefit of um, working together, me and Aisha is we can always put our heads together and say, this is our way forward, right? Like this is our plan. This what worked, this what didn't work. And here's our way forward. I was telling uh, Aisha when we goal set this year, I said, if you look at our track record for accomplishing our goals um, year over year since 2015, right? We're probably in the 70% range, right? So let's just say one out of 10, right? Or, or just a, a number up to 10. Seven out of 10 goals we get accomplished. Now those three could be detrimental that didn't get accomplished, right? But that 70% ratio is a win. That means we're really, really good at accomplishing our goals. We're really, really good at getting the things that we set on a piece of paper done. And year over year, if we just get 1% better, 5% better, 10% better, we'll never be at 100% because we're always moving. But everything that we dream, everything that we try, everything that we plan at some point will be accomplished in some form or fashion. Now, the question, the bigger question is, when you get what you're hoping for, will you still want it? Will it matter? Will it be important? Because there's a huge delta between what you think you want, what you need, and what you actually want. Mm, I love that. I love that. You know, um, Tim Ferriss once said, and it may have been in the four-hour work week, but, you know, a lot of people, and a lot of people, they... They work 40 years, 50 years at a job, and, you know, that leaves them about 10, 11, 12 years for retirement. And when they retire, they always have this vision of, you know, retiring to Mexico and just, you know, laying on a beach and, you know, however that is. And, you know, it's often, you know, when you get there, like imagine working 50 years and then you finally get to the beach on Mexico and it's not what you want. It's, 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 it's completely like not, not the thing that, that you thought it would be like, it's a completely different experience. And, you know, so he has this principle and I think it was for our worker, you know, it was like, look, try to do that today. Like try to, try to experience a little bit of your dream today. Try to experience a little bit of your lifestyle today. Get a taste of that so that you can start deciding and figuring out what you want. Mm-hmm. And one thing I really admire you guys for is, you know, it's very like, I, it's very similar to me in that there are so many people who want to get started in real estate and the biggest thing holding them back is the fear is, is the, is the, is the confidence that they don't have is the, well, what if I make a mistake and you guys have tried and succeeded and tried and failed at so many different things. And all that time you're getting experience as to what you like and what you don't. Mm-hmm. True. Mm-hmm. Whereas most people are still still at the starting blocks. They haven't tried anything. They have no idea what they're going to like and what they don't like. And they just they just never do. Like I know that where I am today and where I was three, four years ago, like I wouldn't I wouldn't be in the space I'm in if I didn't try and fail at a, at a bunch of things. Like there, it's not possible because when you get 
10 steps ahead. Like when I get, when I get into a traditional, uh, when I get into a traditional mortgage, like my first property and I, I saw like what it was bringing in. I saw the vision and what I needed to do to escape the rat race because I got to that point, I realized that I needed to pivot. But at the starting point, I wouldn't know, I wouldn't know that I needed to pivot at the starting point. There's no way to have that type of foresight until you've taken some type of action. And then mm-hmm. from your new action, you have a whole new vision. So I love that you guys, it seems like you guys are doing that constantly in your journey, figuring out what's working, what's not working. And because you're at a new place, you have a new vision. That's why your goals keep on moving. And I love that. Now. You make that sound so sexy. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's something that's very now for us, right? Like we had to learn that through failure because one of our failures was not looking at it regularly enough. Yeah. Right. So staying on top of it to say, okay, consistently asking yourself, is this what you want? Is this what you want? Is this what you want? Because as you get things like you really have to, I mean, you could have a bunch of stuff and not care about any of it. Yeah. So, so, so as developers, let's, let's round out this round with this. When you guys are feeling overwhelmed, right, you guys have projects that are going on like long, like, like more than, you know, a month or two months, like, you know, they're extending 12, 13 months. So sometimes I, like right now on this call, like I'm feeling angst for that. Like, man, like I hope I can get my investors back. Like, it's just like, oh my goodness. Like, so when you're feeling overwhelmed, maybe even unfocused, you've lost focus temporarily. What do you do to get yourself back in alignment? Like, how do you go on on a day-to-day basis, living your life, knowing that things are going to be okay? Like, what, what are some of the things that you guys are constantly reinforcing in your lives to make sure that, that and, and, and if it helps, what kind of questions are you guys asking yourself to make sure that you guys are staying in alignment? I think, I, I think we're, we're lucky, and some would call it blessed, because we have each other. Because there's yeah. some days where, you know, I'm like, it's all going to crap, and it's over, we're over. And Kevin is the high for the day, or the week, or the month. And then there's some days that he feels that way. You know, when things aren't going the way that we project, he feels that way. And I'm the one who infuses the positivity, who sends, you know, positive articles and YouTube videos, just things to keep empowering us to say, like, this is what you're experiencing today. And it won't be that in a few years or a few days or whatever. Um, But it's very hard to see through the forest because of the trees. Oh, yeah. And you need that aerial view. And if you look back, I mean, we're always reminding each other like, man, remember that really tough spot we were in? whatever the tough spot was and where we are now, we can look back at it and it's like time has a funny way of making, of lessening the pain of the things that you experience. And so I think it's that constant reminder that, you know, this is a temporary thing that, you know, you need to figure out the here and now, but when you look back on this, it won't be as huge of a deal as it was when you were walking through it. And I'll, I'll say, um, two things perspective right um like i used to talk about the perspective not only perspective in your own situation but perspective from other people i think looking at other people's situations and being appreciative for what you have is probably the biggest lesson i learned from 2019 was just gratitude starting off every day uh grateful for where you are grateful for the the journey and the mistakes i'd say even all the things that all the lessons we learned and the obstacles that we faced in 2019 brought us closer together, brought our marriage closer together, made us better business people and operators, helped us refine our businesses to find out what we really want, Um, you know, helped us um, get things out of our business that weren't healthy for our business, Uh, helped us uh, identify areas where we could have more humility or things that, you know, we we could give to others. Like, that's what the obstacles bring. 
Um, and then mindset. So consistently pouring into yourself the mindset of success, the things that you want, because it's very easy to get hyped up before you do anything. You're like, yeah, I can conquer the world and I can do this and that. But once you start that journey, you have to continue that. Because if you get off that train at any point, if you stop sipping that Kool-Aid at any point, and that that negative self-talk can eat you alive, right? Like you can't, it's, it's like Popeye and spinach, right? You know, Popeye had a spinach, he was the man. And the second he didn't have a spinach, he's like a little, you know, weakling. So this journey is hard. You have to give yourself the spinach on a daily basis. If you don't, you go right back to that trivial little creature that you started with. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you're, you're not going to jump from that cubicle to the top of the mountain in one step, but you got to give yourself that courage daily because if you don't at any point, you'll just see yourself where you started and you have to consistently push yourself to see yourself where you're going. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite before the millions book? Okay, so you guys are lucky because we're a couple. We don't have the same favorite book. You get two books. (laughs) So for me, it's the E-Myth series by Michael Gerber. Um, The original book is great. And I've read, you know, the E-Myth Real Estate Investor, currently reading the E-Myth Real Estate Agent. And the concepts are just phenomenal and life-changing in your business. I love it. The E-Myth series. Kevin? Um, mine is Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. Oh, I love that book. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, that is a that is a great book. It just puts a twist on everything and how you think about things. I, I tell you, that book has gotten me through some some real hard times when you gotta realize that the only thing real is it's what you make real in your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Mine is Canva. Yeah, everything. Yeah, Kevin. <laughs> Kevin is the creative of the. I was going to say, Kevin, what are you doing in Canva when you hate? Yeah, everything. <laughs> he's the, he's well, the creative. Every, I mean, literally all design. Canva is the hack for design stuff. He's I'm he, super creative. He is. I mean, our, our newsletters are so visually appealing that people like want to know. Well, how do y'all do this? You know, most people send out communications to investors and the like, and just like an email with words. Kevin's all about the visuals, and he does that really well. For me, it's Trello, um, which is a kind of like a project management app, but it has lots of visuals and it's really pretty. So I'm a Trello girl. I love it. I love it. How are you? How are you organizing your Trello board? Is it by by property? Is it by project? It evolves, right? So I'm I I see what works and what doesn't, and literally there's a clutter of Trello boards, and I'm constantly streamlining them between myself and my assistant. She finds better ways for us to kind of communicate with each other through them. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love both of those apps. Uh, what do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? For me, I would say having the time to spend with my children, not have to ask permission to leave the country or go on vacation, or if my kid is sick with the flu like she is now and I'll have to be home for the next four or five days, um, I don't have to ask permission to do that or suffer a penalty for doing that. I love that. I love that. I love that. That is the ultimate lifestyle design, but uh, I do hope she gets well soon. Kevin, what about you? Um... I would say working with my spouse. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. That always scores you cool points. <laughs> it does. I need them. 
I need them. <laughs> so, I, need all the full I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? So that would be sacrificing the comforts of the nine to five, the steady paycheck, the feeling of security. We all know that a nine to five is not truly secure, but the feeling of security and the ability to leave work at work as an entrepreneur, when we, when a project is not going in the direction we want it to go in, I mean, that comes home to, and that comes home to roost sometimes. Um, And also, you know, the safety net for failure. When you work a nine to five, if a project doesn't go well, um, I mean, it's disappointing, but it's not going to stop your paycheck. Yeah, it's not going to it's not going to affect your pay rate or your paycheck or the fact that you'll get a paycheck. Yep, that that one hits home. (laughs) Um, So I I, I wanted to touch on something else, but we'll, we'll, we'll maybe get to that at the end. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? So, you know, honestly, I think we could have done a better job um, at this particular thing, like finding mentors along the way. We had a lot of inspirational books and a lot of, you know, podcasts and things to listen to, but we didn't find individually individual mentors that could show us their way through their own mistakes. Um, so that's something that we put on our 2020 goals was to find people that we can connect with. Aisha always has a great saying that she's been saying forever is you have the people that you eat with, right? The people who sit at the table with you, you eat with your peers. You have the people that you eat from, which are your mentors. And then you have the people that you feed. So I think we've always concentrated and did a good job on feeding other people as we learned information and eating with the people in our our peer group, but finding those people to pull down from uh, in this area of our lives, because we have marriage mentors, we have um, spiritual mentors to a degree, but we didn't have business mentors, um, especially as we started this journey of full-time entrepreneurship. And now we're putting some people in place, we've made some connections and are starting that journey. And it's, I mean, amazing. The the fruit that is coming from it, just from initial conversations is, I mean, Amazing. So find mentors. I love it. I love it. I love it. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? So I I wrote down three words and that's action, comfort, and risk. And I'd say action because 99% of folks um, want a whole lot of stuff, but don't want to take the steps that it takes to get those things. Um, like, um, I'll give you a a perfect example. A lot of people tell me they want to go full-time in real estate. I ask them, what are you going to do? Because real estate isn't, it's not a job, right? Like you can do a specific job in real estate, but real estate itself is not a job. Investing in real estate could be a source of, you know, passive income, but that's not a job in itself. So real estate alone just the word doesn't replace your income. Mm-hmm. So if you say, I want to quit and go full-time in real estate, my question is, and do what? You're going to be an agent. There's a million trillion agents out here. You're going to be a builder. What do you know about construction? You're going to be an appraiser. You're going to like, what are you actually going to do that fills that gap in income? Comfort. Most people are pretty comfortable, right? They want to watch the game. They want to watch the Super Bowl. They want to, um, chill at night. And I'm in a house at three in the morning, 
uh, or on a job site, you know, or in a hospital or whatever. Even when I worked a corporate job, I'd sleep at MD Anderson when I was renovating MD Anderson because I had to achieve something, right? So getting out of your comfort zone, success is not comfortable. And everybody said that, but it does not feel comfortable. Like the idea of it, the pursuit of success is not comfortable. Um, Changing yourself is not comfortable. Evolving is not comfortable. So if you want a comfortable life, right, at least initially, then just stay at your job. (laughs) And then risk. It's risky. You can lose, right? You get your, you know, your face punched in. Everybody has a plan to get hit in the face. So you got to be willing to take the risk of it all. And then if the downside comes, um, you have to be willing to to pivot instead of panic. I love that. Aisha, any additional words on, on top of that? No, no. Action, comfort, if I could just reiterate, action, comfort, and risk. That's, that is what holds people back. I love it. I love it. I love it. This has been a fascinating podcast episode. I've had my first developers on the show. They broke down a development deal. They showed us exactly what their their yin and yangs are as far as like how you guys are are, are really meticulously going about building your business. And uh, the question I wanted to ask earlier, I just want to say one last question. What is, do you guys have a strict rule about spillage into family and personal life when it comes to business since you guys are a couple that works together? No. <laughs> it's kind of all, it's all in at this point. I think it started all in though. Um, even when we started conferencing, it was always personal and business. Mm-hmm. It was, we're the team until we get a team. Um, I think that one of the positives that came out of our conference in 2019 was the separation of business lines completely, right? Like uh, our development side being my baby, my brainchild, and the real estate transaction side and the the um, the podcast side being her baby in totality where somebody has complete control um, to make the plays and the calls and the other person just has to walk it out. Um, That was very helpful. So it always comes home. It's just, you want to at least be able to to talk about it civilly and, and then at a time go, okay, we've done everything that we can do today for business. Now it's time to concentrate on our, our children and, uh, and and have peace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You guys have been amazing. Uh, the, the foresight that you guys have had to start a podcast, um, I don't know a whole lot about how it's helped you guys in the business yet, but I guarantee you that it, it will extensively, it will help your business so much, so much, so much. So um, if the listeners want to learn a little bit more about you guys, listen to the podcast, reach out to you, ask a few questions, where can they find some of your information? So Kevin Shelton, K-E-V-A-N-S-H-E-L-T-O-N on Instagram. Aisha Shelton, A-Y-E-S-H-A, Shelton, S-H-E-L-T-O-N, at Instagram. Um, Marriage and Real Estate uh, on Instagram, Marriage, A-N-D, Real Estate. And our podcast is available on all platforms. It's Marriage and Real Estate Podcast. If you just search Marriage and Real Estate, you'll find us. Um, There's a lot of couples out there that do a little bit of marriage. A lot of couples might do a little bit of real estate, but we're all about both. So creating a community around around that. 
And I am actually going back to listen to that podcast as well. Um, I actually got introduced to you guys, which you guys already know, by one of my mastermind members who actually invested in one of you guys' deals, maybe two at this point. He um, invested in the syndication we spoke about. Oh, that one? Okay, awesome, awesome, awesome. So again, these are these are these are real life people, guys, and they're in they're 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 doing real life deals and um uh, I, I really, really love what you guys are doing uh, from the ground up. You guys are just getting started. And uh, I, I'm going to have you guys back on in a year or two and see where things are. You guys are growing very rapidly, so I know things are going to change drastically. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you guys on the show, and I'll talk to you guys very, very soon. Thank no, man, you. Thank you, and, and we really appreciate just the time and all your success over the past couple of years being avid listeners. We've seen your growth. And uh, I mean, hey, man, to see the, the start um, and listen to that first episode. <laughs> I mean, to see the consistent growth, we're looking up to you and, and you're doing it, man. You're really, really doing it. It's, it's become before the millions, so you're going to have to change it to after millions. Right, right, right. We're just waiting on it. We're just waiting on it, man. I appreciate that so much, man. And again, take care and we'll talk to you very soon.